tonight. I know it's a, it's a rainy, cold February, but we really want to do this speaker series to just wake everybody up and keep the message alive and build the momentum towards elections and towards local elections and, and just to keep people connected in community and all of this stuff. So after uh, this is done, if you are inspired to keep community going, we're going to be meeting next Tuesday here in Oakland uh, for a, a dinner. And the dinner will also be featuring uh, business owners who are going to be talking about entrepreneurship, starting new businesses, how to grow your current business. So if that's something that you're interested in or you'd like to learn more about, they're just trying to help people become more resilient so that if, let's say in the future, there was any issues uh, or any problems uh, where you needed to have that resilience and you needed to say no to your employer, you have that side hustle that you can go to and, you know, deploy that. So they're going to really be helping people and all through March we're going to be running courses. Uh, similarly, at the end of uh, the month, uh, that would be the month of, uh, let's see, we're, we're going to be in March, yeah, that's going to be Danny Bulford is going to be coming out. So for uh, anyone who's interested in the speaker series, we'll keep announcing these things. But I'm going to turn uh, the microphone over to Jeremy now. So if everybody could give a big round of applause to Jeremy. Thank you very much. It's great to um, see a good turnout as usual. I, I see the crowd is a little spread out, but uh, just, just so everybody knows the, the science is clear now, you don't need to socially distance anymore. So if, if people want to come forward and want to, um, uh, want to sit close together and, and hear the speaker, that, uh, that's always uh, much uh, appreciated. But it's good to see people coming out for these talks because it's, uh, it's important that we remain involved. It's important that we support the heroes who stood up for our freedoms uh, during the last few years of, uh, of tyranny that we've all experienced. And um, our speaker tonight, Chris Scott, is a gentleman who did that at intense personal cost. Uh, as a small business owner uh, with the Whistle Stop Cafe in, in Alberta, he um, stood up for people's right to uh, get together and, and socialize and, and take their own take their own risks, make their own choices with their own bodies and their own autonomy. Um, and that doesn't that's not an easy thing to do because when you go into business, it's usually about uh, the bottom line. It's about earning a living and supporting your family. And that's what uh, what Chris needed to do. But he also felt a need to be a good member of the community and to create a place where people could go and stand up for the freedoms of people. So that's, um, that's very important. Um, and it was, there wasn't enough of that going on over the last uh, few years. There were so many business owners who just would look at what's the easy thing to do? What's the, uh, how do I uh, protect my bottom line? Uh, how do I um, come out of this in one piece? And the government made it so that most people just complied, just backed down, um, because it, it took a huge financial cost and a huge personal cost, which I'm sure Chris is going to talk about, to, to fight back and to face charges for this kind of, um, uh, of uh, civil disobedience, as you will. Um, victimless crime, of course, but uh, the state would have us believe that it's a crime just to 
run one's business and pursue one's livelihood and create a, a, a space for people to meet. Um, the other, the important reason why people have to fight back, people like Chris are so important for our legal system, is because if nobody fights back and everyone just complies, there isn't, a, there isn't a case before the courts. There's no venue in which to challenge it. Our legal system works in such a way that we only get court decisions, we only get substantive law when a dispute arises. So if nobody ever disputes anything, if nobody ever stands up for something bigger than themselves or bigger than their own, um, their own financial self-interest, then we may not know where our rights are. We may not know the extent of our rights, and then our rights become more and more eroded, and freedom dies with a whimper in that situation. So we need freedom fighters. We need people who uh, are willing to push the envelope, are willing to stand up to tyranny. Chris Scott is one of those people, and I'm really looking forward to hearing his story tonight. And I'm going to pass the mic on to him, and uh, looking looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Do I need both mics? This one I'm out. Are you sure? This one's better? Yep. Can you hear me? <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And thank you folks for inviting me out. I, uh, I was actually looking for a reason to come out to the island because my grandparents are older than dinosaurs and they're not going to be here much longer, so I really want to spend some time with them. And so your invitation uh, for me to come out here and speak to you about what I've experienced in the past couple years it just fit perfectly, which seems to be happening a lot these days. Uh, we're wondering how we're going to make something happen, and just almost mirac miraculously it happens, and things fall into place, and we look back and think, wow, it's almost like there was a plan or something. So thank goodness for a plan. Well, um, Jeremy was correct about most of the things he said, except for me being a hero. Uh, I'm certainly not a hero. All I did really was... Protected my capitalistic interest. You might not know this, but for the first year of the restrictions, I actually followed all the stupid rules. Kinda. When people could see me. I wore the stupid masks, I had the bulletproof shower curtains between the tables of my restaurants. Or my restaurant, we had the, uh, the hand sanitizer everywhere. We encouraged the, what was supposed to be physical distancing, but for some reason they called it social distancing, which was a very different thing. Anyway, now we see what that was about. But we did all those things. We complied. Because, why? Fear. It's scary to stand up against the government. Nobody wins against the government, right? Rarely. I mean, I think one guy won against the government and got $10 million, but I don't want to do what he did to win against the government. But the prospect of standing up for your rights, especially in the face of government, is terrifying. But at some point, it became less terrifying for me to stand up against the government than it did to bend and allow the government to destroy my livelihood all the way. So in January of 2021, when I finally took a stand, uh, I was literally at my financial wit's end. And my wit's end, I think we all were. We had some history, we had some statistics, we could see that it wasn't what they said it was, we knew that People weren't dying in droves. 
and things were pretty much the same as they always had been, except for we had allowed the government to remove our rights with barely a whimper. So it's not like I looked around and I was like, oh man, so many people are suffering. Oh, so many people are hurting. I need to help them. It was, I'm in a fight or flight situation here where either I, I run away and just allow the government to destroy me or I turn my Irish roots on and I fight. So I fought, but I fought for myself. And there's been times where I kind of look back on that and I think, man, I'm kind of like, should I be ashamed that I was trying to do something for myself? Because in this society, we're taught that capitalism is evil, self-interest is evil, it's all about the public good, it's all about the greater good, and nobody can think about themselves, and if you do, it means you're a selfish, we're in a church, so I can't say the word, it means you're selfish. That's not the case. The, the, the biggest reason why the government was able to do what they did is because we've been convinced that our individual interests are, they're meaningless. We've been convinced that if we try and do something for ourselves to improve our, our, our place in life or to get ahead or to increase our wealth or anything, that we're bad for doing that. And all we should be doing is focusing on what everyone else around us needs and focusing on the public good. But in every society that foregoes individual responsibility and achievement and instead only focuses on the public good, nothing good happens. As a matter of fact, society ends up crumbling because there's no reward, there's no benefit in achievement. And therefore people just stop achieving because that takes work. Anyway, I set up for myself. And it was terrifying because for the first five minutes, I was standing there all alone in front of the world, literally saying bad words to the government, like screw your restrictions. Um, I'm not gonna comply with this anymore because I have the right to exist and earn a living. And not only that, but you're wrong about everything government. So I did that, it was terrifying and I was all by myself. But then this weird thing happened, people actually started paying attention and I realized now it's because the majority of people felt just like I did. The majority of people believed that what was going on, what the government was doing was wrong. The majority of people believed that, or pardon me, didn't believe that we were in a, a, a life-threatening, national security-threatening pandemic, and we all needed to destroy ourselves to stop it. Very few people actually believed that. So when I finally stood up and did something, which I should have done in the beginning, People flocked to my cafe. Now, to tell you a little bit about my cafe, I'm on the highway of, I'm on the corner of Highway 50 and Highway 21 in Alberta, in rural Alberta, in literally the middle of nowhere. If you drew a triangle around my restaurant, uh, it's 45 minutes almost in every direction to a major center. And I'm right there in the middle with kind of nothing around me. My business is very dependent on highway traffic. Uh, my town only has 502 people, of which maybe 200 even will go to a restaurant. So already my customer base is very small. Uh, I had 32 or maybe it was 40 seats in my restaurant at the time. And it's, it's a gas station, just a small little diner. Uh, very unimpressive. As a matter of, a matter of fact, the, the name is, is the Whistle Stop Cafe. And if you look up Whistle Stop, it literally means a small, unimportant stop in the rail. Which is exactly what the Whistle Stop is. A completely unimportant, unimpressive, little stop in the middle of nowhere run by a completely average, unextraordinary fella that just happens to be 
slightly Irish when it's demanded of it. <laughs> so because of where I was, well, maybe because I was the only restaurant in Alberta to open, um, everybody came here. And they were extremely supportive. We were unified in that we had a common goal. We had a common cause. And the common cause was hamburgers. Like, we weren't allowed to go for hamburgers anymore. We couldn't go sit in a coffee, coffee shop and talk about politicians in disparaging ways anymore. Like, that's ridiculous. That's where, that's where the world changes in coffee shops. We couldn't do it. So we had common cause. And everybody showed up, and they were supportive, and I was like, wow, I guess I did the right thing. I guess people are just like me, and I'm just like them, and we just need to stand together to get through this. So another strange thing happened. I mentioned before that I did this for myself. It was for my financial interests. I was trying to protect myself, my family, and my livelihood. But then all these people showed up. And I heard from people who had been impacted in ways that I could never have even dreamt about. Even in my worst nightmares. Imagine. Imagine being part of a family where, say, say your brother had some special needs. And was mostly able to participate in society, but needed a little bit of extra help because he wasn't quite able to do things all on his own. So a very high-functioning, special needs person. And you keep contact with your brother, for the most part, uh, and the rest of your family. But all of a sudden, you can't get a hold of your brother anymore. And you're starting to worry because he's kind of unable to uh, live on his own, needs a little bit of help. So you keep calling and calling and calling, and you don't get an answer. And then you find out that your brother, who just needed a little bit of help, died alone slumped over the toilet in his home because people were too scared of COVID to go and fulfill their duties and their obligations to take care of the most vulnerable. Imagine getting that phone call. And imagine two weeks later getting another phone call that the same thing happened to your mother because of lack of care, because of fear of something that we've dealt with for thousands of years on this planet. Those types of stories I will never, ever forget them. Those types of stories changed the way I viewed my situation to, you know, this isn't about me so much protecting my interests or standing up for myself, but there's so much more going on around me that I can barely even bear to hear, and nobody's doing a damn thing about it. Even before that, you know, I had heard some stories of things that really, they really were like a, a little knife in my heart. Uh, one of them that I'll never forget was uh, people saying goodbye to their loved ones over iPads. It's a church lady. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely what she said. That story, my, my mom's, uh, she's pretty old. I shouldn't say that because some of you might be older than her. She's middle-aged. She's in her mid-60s. And over the last few years, she's had some health issues, some weird things with her lungs. She got, like, some weird disease, and all her hair fell out, and she shrunk, and just, I'm like, Mom, what's going on with you? And she's totally like, ah, whatever, you know, it's just what God wants for me, and I'm fine. I'm like, Mom, you got no hair. Yeah, well, whatever, at least now I get to pick a wig. So she's had some issues, and she's getting older, and I've... My own mortality kind of hit me when, uh, when George Burns died, and then everyone else around me's mortality hit me when uh, 
Brittany Murphy died and then Michael Jackson, all these people who think you're gonna live forever. So I started thinking about my mother and my family and the people that I'm gonna lose. Anyway, I'm thinking about these things and then I'm hearing about people saying goodbye to their mother over an iPad. And I phoned my mom, I said, listen mom, um, and she was going to the hospital for some surgery. I said, listen, I'm gonna fly out there, I'll be there with you, and uh, I, if they tell me I can't hold your hand after this, there's gonna be, I'll be in jail after because there's gonna be unconscious security guards littered across the hospital. That's the way I am. Don't get between me and my family. Don't get between me and my mother and my children. It's just not gonna end well for anybody. And, and, and those stories and those feelings um, that I experienced by hearing the stories from other people, they really, they changed the reason why I act the way I do. And I'm certainly not saying I act the best all the way. I'm a total sarcastic dink, I'll give you that. And I often say things I shouldn't say, but uh, you know, at the core, I really feel empathy for people with stories like that. And I realize all these people are paying attention now. We made national news. We've been on all the news outlets in Alberta. We've, we're on the provincial government's radar. The premier knows who I am. The CMOH in BC or Alberta knows who I am. They all hate me because I'm standing up against them. And I have this audience at the time of about, I don't know, 15,000 people on Facebook or whatever that are watching what I'm doing. So I have an opportunity to share some truth and get some reality in front of people so that maybe they'll stand up too. And it actually worked. A lot of people did. We, we, we built this, I guess this movement of people that just really wanted things to get back to normal because they had also been hearing these stories. And so things began to change. And they didn't really change, as you know, until thousands and tens of thousands of trucks rolled across the country to Ottawa and we honked our horns for quite a while and made some people upset and caused the Prime Minister to get fake COVID and go hide and, you know, eventually the provinces dropped the, the restrictions. Not because they believed in the science or the statistics or the data, but because we were becoming so noisy that they could no longer convince us to joy, destroy ourselves or the public good. So, while some people may view my actions as having been heroic, I am no hero. Uh, I'm simply a guy that wants to pour coffee and eat hamburgers and cook for people and be left alone to do my thing. I want to be free, uh, not just to succeed, but to fail too. I don't want a safety net. I don't want a babysitter. I don't want the government to regulate me to the point where I can't do anything and fail or I do anything for fear of failing, I want to be able to do things myself. And I think a lot of people are like that too. But when we consider the bigger picture and what we have to do to get ourselves out of this weird situation we find ourselves in, which by the way, if you know history at all, this isn't weird. We've gone through this hundreds of times before. We're just in the current revision of it. There's a very important point to, to understand. We don't need to change everybody's minds, and we won't. We don't need to change everybody's hearts, and we won't. All we have to do is we have to stand on our principles, and we have to bring enough people with us so that we can change some things and drag those who hate freedom kicking and screaming with us. Did you know that it only takes roughly between 3 and 4% of the society to change the direction of that society? That's really good news because the majority of people act out of self-interest, as I did, to be fair, or they act out of fear. 
The fearful people will never, ever stand up. They just won't. Those amazing, beautiful, important human beings that spat in your faces during the Million March for Children, you will never change their mind. The very prospect of them having their minds changed for them shatters their perception of reality to the point where it's triggering a fight or flight reflex in them. They do not care about the facts, most of those types of people that will spit in your face. They don't care about the facts. They don't care about reality. They care about the way they feel about something in particular. And you can't fight feelings with facts. But what you can do is you can just do what you're meant to do. You can do what you believe. You can speak your mind. You can, you can be unapologetic for believing in what you believe. How many people in this room have been made to feel shame for being a Christian? Me too. How many in this room have been made to feel shame over their choices they made during COVID regarding vaccination? How many people have been made to feel shame for their views on parental rights and being involved in their children's decisions? Does that mean that we should stop doing it? Absolutely not. That's something we have to start embracing. We have to embrace the idea that we're going to be persecuted for our opinions and beliefs because they're the right thing. If we were worried about how other people were going to view us, we could just go with the status quo, go with the flow, allow the, the, the noisy, dare I say fringe minority, to guide the direction of society and just kind of live in our own world. Or we can stand in our principle, unapologetic, and we can set an example for other people to do the same thing. Is there anyone in this room that watched people during the restrictions do things that caused them to, uh, or that gave them the courage to do things themselves? I'll rephrase, let me, let me say that again. Is there anybody here who was encouraged by people standing up for themselves during the COVID pan the pandemic era? Courage is contagious, isn't it? It was contagious for me. I watched Adam Skelly in Ontario take a sledgehammer through the wall of his uh, restaurant to open the doors after they seized his building. That guy is still my hero. I mean, who does that? Right? Yeah, sure, I'm going to not wear a mask. This guy's busting the wall of his welding shop down to get into his barbecue joint next door so he can feed people. That's heroic to me. But for him, he won't call himself a hero. He's like, it's my business. I have a restaurant. I serve people. I'm not going to let the government take it away from me. So I bust through the wall. Unapologetic. So, you know, that, that's part of my story. That's part of what got me to this place, what made me do what I, what I did. It keeps me going now. I'm involved in a, a number of different things that take up way too much of my time. Uh, I don't spend enough time with my children. That's a consequence to this stuff. Of, you know, we already work 40, 50, 60 hours a week to make ends meet, right? We pay more than half of our, the fruits of our labor in taxes to a bureaucracy that wants us dead, right? And at the end of the day, we really don't have much time to get involved in anything else. But some of us and some of you are making those sacrifices to be involved and try and be the change you want to see in the world. 
That's what we have to do. This is all about sacrifices and sacrificing a little bit of time, a little bit of money. In the big picture, uh, really is worth it, I, I think. Although it is tough on my kids because, you know, they're like, why is my dad spending enough time with me? So I'm going to try and work on that a little, bit, a little bit more. But if everybody does a little bit, we can start to change things. In Alberta, a lot of people did a little. Uh, we've, we've got some groups together and we've done some pretty incredible things. Number one, we forced the premier to resign. That was pretty cool. Yes, I can. I'll get to that in a moment. Let me just boast a little bit more about what we did in Alberta. And when I say we, say we I really mean we. This was a big movement, a lot of people who got involved. Uh, somebody once told me that in, in politics, it's only math. It's a math problem and nothing else. If you bring more people than those opposed to you, you will win. It's very, very easy. You just bring enough people and you win. And that's what we did in Alberta. We got rid of a premier. We, uh, we elected the, the, the provincial board of directors of the governing party in Alberta, the United Conservative Party. Last year, we elected half the board, and they were all freedom-minded individuals, many of whom, actually every one of whom, uh, have approached me at one time or another to say, yeah, we're with you, good job, we're going to fix these things. They're on the provincial board of our governing party. This year, we elected the other half. As a matter of fact, I did a, a series on my, on my uh, podcast where we interviewed all of them so that they could say to the world that yes, they believe in things like bodily autonomy. Yes, they believe in parental rights. Yes, we believe in these things you believe, so support us in our endeavor to be a part of this board. We did that. So the entire governing board that makes the policy for the party and really determines the direction of the party are all freedom-minded individuals like you and I. <laughs> That's a major, major achievement. Because during the, the COVID years, oh my God, during the, during the ridiculous years, that provincial party was so beholden to the politicians that they wouldn't even allow the conversation. And that was a big problem. But who caused that problem? We did. Before this stuff, I didn't even know what a constituency association was. I didn't know that the governing party had a, uh, a board of directors that determined policy. I didn't know that there was an annual general meeting where I could go as a party member and vote on policy. I knew nothing. My civic engagement was simply checking a box on a ballot, maybe every four years, if I wasn't busy doing something else. So when you ask yourself, or when I, certainly when I ask myself, I won't speak for you, when I ask myself who caused the problems that we're experiencing now, the answer is me. And it's always been me. It's not the politicians, because the politicians, is there any politicians in the room? <laughs> politicians are like dogs. You don't beat a dog for being a dog, right? You don't get mad at a dog for being a dog. So why would you get mad at a politician when he poops on the carpet? I mean, when he doesn't do what he knows is right. Our politicians, they look, they look at a room like this and they think, okay, so 70% of this, the people in this room want this policy. So I'm going to say that I want this policy as well and they'll vote for me and I'll get the job. They see these societal parades and actually in the last few years, the parades have been very, very colorful. 
They see these societal parades, and, and just as Ralph Klein said, I don't create the parade, I just find one and get in front of it. So these noisy groups are making all of these weird demanding changes like, let's make sure that we can, uh, you know, let's make sure that 50 year old men can shower with girls in, in at pools because that's what society wants. Well, no, that's not what society wants. That's what this noisy group over there that created this parade wants and the politicians just getting in front of it. I guarantee you, most of our politicians probably don't even believe in half this stuff. They probably don't believe in the climate change nonsense either, but they say they do because they think that's what we want. So if we become this parade of freedom, reality, based on faith and family, what do you think the politicians are gonna do? I'll tell you what they're gonna do from experience, from what I've seen in Alberta. They will start speaking our language. Our premier in Alberta went on live television and said, the vac unvaccinated were the most discriminated group that she has seen in her lifetime. Do you know what kind of testicular fortitude it takes to say that type of thing in today's society? Our premier said that and she took the heat for it. She stands by it because it's true. Our premier, now full disclosure, I don't agree with everything she does. We are starkly you know, opposed to each other on certain policies but I will support the policies that I like, which is what unification is all about. Not agreeing on everything, but being unified on the things that we really believe in. She recently released uh, uh, some policies that are gonna turn into legislation about parental rights. So in Alberta, if a child is gonna change their pronoun in school, the parents must be informed. Is that fair? That's not a genocide on trans people, that's making sure parents are involved in their children's life as they're intended to be. In Alberta, if you're under 16, it is illegal for, the, for doctors to start hormone therapy to transition. And the parent has to be involved. If you're under 18, it is illegal to have any modifications whatsoever. After you're 18, you know what? Glue some bunny ears on yourself, pin a tail on and go be a donkey, whatever you wanna do. But when you're under 18 in Alberta, your parents must be involved in the decisions you make, not because we just want all this power, but because we love our kids. Our premier actually addressed the province and said, I'm not even kidding you, I I'm not even making this up. She said, kids, all kids, trans kids, straight kids, whatever, we love you and we value you and you're precious. A politician said that. Have you ever heard a politician say those words in your life? No. No. And the reason why she's able to say these things is because people like you, you show up and you create these parades. And the politicians are like, wow, these people are going to support me if I do the right thing. And now I can do the right thing because that's what I wanted to do in the first place. I just didn't do it before because I couldn't because I wouldn't get elected. So that's how we make this change. We stop worrying about and bickering about these little things that we don't agree on. Which I'm really bad, bad at. I'm horrible, horrible at. Um, I don't know if I should even say it. So I have a very different 
view on certain atmospheric conditions than other people may. Remember how I, I, I said that I'm a kind of a sarcastic dink? So people, when people get in my face and they try and make me feel dumb for not buying into what they believe in, just like the mandates and restrictions and the vaccine, the, the jab, you know, people try to get in my face and they try and make me feel small because I don't share their opinions. I don't do the right thing. I should probably turn the other cheek and be compassionate, but I don't. I lash out and I make satirical videos poking fun at people for believing things that I believe are ridiculous. And I probably shouldn't do that, but I did. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for it because that's who I am. But I'm also a guy that believes that you have the right to believe whatever you want. And I'm not going to try and silence you or call you a, a denier of anything because you don't believe the same thing I do. You might believe in climate change and you might want to speak about it. And I will fight for your right to speak about that. I will fight for your right to express your views that are opposite of mine. Not because I agree with you, but because I believe in your rights as a human being. And if we could do that with each other, if we could look past the things that separate and divide us, I heard today that this group is very fractured. Well, you're not alone, by the way. All of our groups are very fractured. I just went through a major fracture with a group that I was working with. And what do we do? Well, we don't lash out at them. We just try and find our common ground and we support them where we can because we both want to be free and prosperous. That's how we fix this. That's how we make the changes. You remember that saying, we're stronger together that our politicians use trying to tell us that we need to stay home? Stay home, save lives. We'll get this through this. We're stronger together. You're right. But it doesn't involve staying home. It involves showing up. And uh, it's awesome that you guys are still meeting like this. I mean, the crowd is smaller, of course. That's just the way things go when things are back to normal and kind of normal or the appearance of normal. There's less involvement. But what we're doing is we're staying together, unified on the things that we believe in are, are, and that are common to us. And it's all about freedom, really. And when we experience another intrusion into our freedoms, you're going to have a leg up on this because you already have the network. You already have the people. And trust me, when the government tries to tell you again that you can't go and have a hamburger because you might get sick, this church is going to be full. So that, that's very promising. Now, let's get back to Alberta for a moment. Alberta is kind of in the fight of its life right now. And many of you may be aware that Alberta's position within Confederation, within this country, has always been tenuous. We've always had a little bit of a boot on us from Ottawa. And I know BC does too. So when, 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 the, when the things occurred to us that the provincial government did, we were already, we're kind of wild west a little bit. We want to be free to do our own thing. We want to be, we want to eat beef. We want to produce our oil. We want to produce our natural gas. We want to provide energy to the world. And when, when that's threatened, there's a long-standing tradition of that that we've already experienced. So we're kind of ready for these, these things, right? So now we, in Alberta, we're not only standing up for these things that were uh, taken away from us during COVID, but also to the federal government that is not only trying to 
intrude on Alberta's sovereign jurisdiction as a province, but on British Columbia's as well. And, and something interesting is happening. It's not going the way the federal government or the left believed it would. They thought that they could just say, oh, these are just deniers. Oh, they're... Does anybody remember the list of phobes? All the phobes, there's transphobes, xenophobes, racist people. I can't even remember all of them. But they, they tried to speak that language, and Albertans were kind of like, no, not, that's not what's going on here. And the rest of the country is looking at us going, well, no, they're not actually, because we met them during the convoy. You know, we met all these people from Alberta. They're beautiful people. They're not any of those things that the government is saying they are, but they're standing up for things that we had no idea were, was a problem. And now they're looking at their own interests, their own issues. So the, the courage of one province is contagious to another. And that's important to remember as well. So your group here, if you continue to act out of courage and compassion, and self-interest, of course, because we need to make sure that we can survive too, the people around you are going to be encouraged by that, and they're going to join you. Maybe not now, maybe not next week, but certainly when something is affecting them again. Because just like me, most of us, unless something affects us, we don't get involved because it's much, much easier to go along and get along, isn't it? So, solutions. I think I've heard it all by now. Uh, during the course of the time I was open against restrictions and my cafe was full every day, we were selling out of food, there was lineups four hours long to the highway, and the police were my best friends because they were always there visiting. People came in and they shared every solution with me that I, I think that there is. Some people tried to tell me, well, don't you know, Canada's not a country anyway, so that's your solution. Canada's not a country, and I'm like, well... 40 million people, I think 38 or 39.5 believe it is, and they hire the men with the guns, and they have the jails and the courts, and all of these things, and the judges, so whether it's real or not is insignificant compared to what society believes it is, and so where's the solution there? I've uh, actually been ridiculed and persecuted online because I didn't simply waive the Canadian Bill of Rights in court as some kind of magic wand. And I look at this, these things as solutions, I'm like, well, that, if that was a solution, number one, everybody would do it, would be doing it. And number two, it's a statute passed, it's an act of parliament, so they would just change it, because they can. I've heard, um, you just have to declare your rights as a human being, as a man or woman, and nobody can, uh, nobody can touch you. The cops can't give you tickets or anything like that. I'm thinking, well, no, that's cool. I, I would like to try that, because that is accurate. I am not a property of the government. I'm not a corporation. I am a human being and I have inherent rights. So I'll stand up for them. But then you ask the people that do this, how does it go? Like, how are you doing? Well, it's going great. But you're, you're living in your car and you have you don't have anything. Well, yeah, because I can't have a bank account. Well, you know, I lost my house because I wouldn't pay my mortgage. Well, you know, uh, every time I drive somewhere, I get arrested. And then the cops let me out the next day because I'm sovereign. I'm like, that's not a much of a solution. That's not how I want to live my life. I shouldn't have to be outcast from society because I'm a human being. So maybe someone, that person's solution is a little bit different than mine. I've heard, I don't know how this is a solution, but I've heard all politicians and government are evil. Every one of them. They're all bad. They let the WEF in. They did all this. They did all that. They're promoting UNGRIP. Okay, 
How is it, where, where's the solution there? And what about me? What about if I became a politician because I want to pass good laws or repeal bad laws? Does that make me evil too? We just elected some good people in Alberta, I know because they're my friends. And I know they're not evil. So if we're gonna condemn every person that's involved in any kind of governance as evil, who's gonna change the laws for us? And if we're not interested in changing laws, there's only one other mechanism by which we change things. And it's not pretty. It's anarchy. And there's a lot of people that advocate for, advocate for that. People came to my, my protest. Oh, by the way, just to clear this up, I was not arrested for serving hamburgers. I was arrested for the crime of protesting. Protesting government policy. I held a protest and I was arrested for it in Canada. So Jeremy and I are gonna talk about this after, but that opens up the question is, what rights do we really have? Anyway, where was I? Oh, anarchy, the fun stuff, yes. So when it comes to solutions, all of the things that happen to us are based on laws that we've allowed to be created around us. The Public Health Act of Alberta literally says, and I've read it front to back a number of times trying to find loopholes for myself, along with the, the Liquor Act and a bunch of other ones. It literally says that this, the Minister or the Minister of Health or anybody acting under their direction and fulfilling their mandate as an elected official can basically do anything they want as long as they do it in good faith, right down to taking your property. So if you ask yourself, do we have property in this country? The answer is no, because there's multiple pieces of legislation that permit the minister or anyone acting uh, under their direction to take your house, turn it into a vaccination clinic if they feel that they need one there. I'm not even kidding you, you can read it yourself. So when the government said, the CMOH said these things, now you have to do them, there were people that came to me and they said, oh, the solution is a mandate isn't a law. Well, that's true, but I just read in the law, the legislation, that the minister can do, can do these things. They can make law in the pursuit of public health. That's something we allowed to happen. We allowed it to happen right under our noses in every province in this country. I'll tell you something else we allowed to happen, and a lot of people don't know this. Do you ever wonder why Canada can support socialized health care? Well, we do pay for it. Yes, we do. Alberta pays 49% uh, of their provincial budget to the tune of uh, $23 billion a year for health care. Plus, the federal government is responsible for infrastructure. So there's, there's billions and billions of more, more money there. We do it because we have signed over our... How do I put this? We have signed over our right to govern ourselves in the face of pandemic or disease or sickness to companies that make drugs for us to deal with those sicknesses in exchange for a discount on those drugs. So in this country, every province gets a 90% discount on the drugs they use to supply socialized healthcare. So if you go to the hospital, they give you Tylenol, they give you whatever it is, ivermectin, do they give that still? <laughs> Our government pays 10% of the book value, but there's a catch. We have to follow their rules. The drug dealers tell us that we must treat disease and sickness and pandemic in the manner that they describe as best. 
And if we do that, they'll give us cheap drugs. If we don't do that, they take away that discount. You know what Alberta spent on cheap drugs in 2019? $2 billion. $2 billion. Our entire budget is $23 billion. If we didn't have that discount, our bill for pills would have been $20 billion, or the majority of our entire budget, which is 49% of our provincial revenue. We allowed that. Why? Because we're scared of paying for, the, for a doctor. Because we're scared of the American-style healthcare system that functions better than Canada's. Our healthcare in this country functions in the bottom quartile of service and quality of service. Pardon me. In, in not quality of service, in quality. And in the highest quartile globally for cost. And people are clamoring for this. They're demanding it because they're scared of another system. They've been made to feel like if they vote for Danielle Smith, they'll have to pay for a doctor and she's gonna sell all the hospitals. They put that on the radio. The NDP in my province put that ad on the radio during the election. Let's shift quickly to another problem. That stuff. We've allowed a system to be built up around us in which, uh, how many people are union members here? How many people are public sector union? Okay. So in Alberta, our public sector unions, they are very, very left-leaning. As a matter of fact, I have emails in my inbox sent to me from union members with wording like, if you don't vote UCP, you won't get your raise. Or pardon me, NDP, you won't get your raise. So in Alberta, the union bosses mobilize and weaponize their unions by dangling carrots or threatening them to get them to vote for a government that is not acting in their best interest. They tell them they won't get raises. They tell them uh, the other government that they don't support is going to sell their hospitals. They're going to kill all the trans kids. They're going to uh, do the most ridiculous things. And so those union members, they are like, well, you know what, we better support this government because we, don't, we want to make sure we get our raises. In exchange, the NDP government, or opposition now, appoints those union bosses to the provincial board of the party or other prestigious positions and pays them a boatload of money. So your union dues, and in some ways your taxes, are being used against you to prop... To, 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 to propagandize you to selecting a different government. Always has been. Always has been. And it's totally legal. Why is it legal? Because we allowed it. Why do we allow political parties to mobilize and weaponize unions to support their government? That is absolutely ridiculous. The same unions who benefit from major discounts from pharmaceutical companies, for instance, The corruption and the problems and the like this this creeping fungus of disgusting, vile evil that's infiltrated our bureaucracy and our government is so much more than the little mushroom we saw on top that was show me your papers. 
This problem is so much deeper than people realize. So if we don't unify somehow, and we don't pursue solutions together, man, I, I just, I've watched where things have gone during the, my, my life, at least the portion where I paid attention. You know, you know, you get to a certain age and then you start realizing what's going on around you. It's bigger than your house and your schoolyard. And if things progress at the same level of decay as they have in the last 30 years of my life, I, there, there's going to be nothing left of this country. There's going to be nothing left to fight for. So I suggest we start working together and, and maybe setting our differences aside. We live in a very interesting time in that uh, there's some people who have gained huge fame and notoriety just by speaking the truth. We just hosted Tucker Carlson in Alberta. Now, not everybody loves Tucker because, I mean, he speaks the truth. But there are people like that who have elevated to, like, rock star status simply because they're speaking the truth. What does that tell you? People want it. People want change. They want the truth. I think the majority of people in the United States and Canada, um, they want things to improve and they don't want to go down this woke anti-human path that we're on. But probably most of them, they either are scared of what everyone else will think or they don't know how to get involved. So how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with fear? How do we remove people's fear? Lead by example, act without fear, stand up with your principles intact, unapologetic and not fearful for the world to see. That's contagious. How do we deal with people's ignorance in, in that they don't know how to, how to solve these problems? Exactly what you're doing right now. We share this information. One of the things that I'm involved in in Alberta is called the Alberta Prosperity Project. Now that project is the, the foundation of it is freedom and independence for Alberta, or freedom and prosperity through independence in Alberta. I want a referendum on independence in Alberta that we can use as leverage to negotiate with the federal government or get the hell out of Dodge because if, if he wants to go down that path and piss off Putin, I don't want to be involved in that. And there's other reasons, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But one of the other things that we do is we, we host webinars, we have meetings, and we talk to people, and we, and we tell them about these problems and why we need to fix them. The climate change argument, the green stuff, um, the attack on natural health products in this country, the plastics ban, all of these things, we cover it all. There's another group that I'm kind of somewhat involved with, it's called Take Back Alberta, and they've been teaching people how to become civically engaged, teaching them how the process works how we can take over the institutions that we're unhappy with. Right now they're working on an initiative where they're going to put people just like us on every school board in the province. In the last 40 years, the people that run for council and library boards and school boards, generally something has happened to them, something has affected them to the point where they want to get involved. They have the time to do it, so oftentimes, you know, maybe they don't have any children, Maybe there, maybe it's a, a, a gay man who has been discriminated against, and so he wants to bring representation for the LGBT community into a school board. 
And you know what? There's, there's nothing wrong with bringing the idea of inclusion and not discriminating against people into the school board, but it's an entirely different thing when you have a whole bunch of activists like that who have become the activists that we see today who are spitting in your face in the park because they don't want you to have your parental rights. So part of the solution is taking over those institutions. You don't like that the library hosts a drag time story hour? Here's something that gets me in hot water all the time. I don't like the idea of drag queen story time, but I will never tell a parent that they can't take their children to that because that parent is free to raise their children the way they want. That's what being conservative means to me. My views are mine. If you live your life a different way, that's your business. And I have to accept that because I want that for me as well. So if a, kid, a parent wants to take their kids and, and have them read by, by drag queens, that's none of my business. Now, if I don't like that our public, uh, our public spaces are being used for that, I can become involved. I can do more than just pick it outside and yell at people or for, for taking their children there. I can run for that library board and I can bring a bunch of people with me and I can take over that board and I can start making policy that says, we are not going to do this anymore. We're going to have standards for what we do in our public spaces and the things we do in our public spaces will not include advocacy for other groups, period. Because that's not our job. We're a library. We provide books and we encourage education. Why are we participating in this virtue signaling ideological BS that has no place in a wholesome society? Doesn't mean that parents can't raise their kids like that. That's their business, but not in my public space. You don't like that your school, I don't like how my kid's school has the trophy case, has no trophies, case, trophies in it. You know what's in there? It's pride flags. It's not only pride flags but it's a menu of different sexual orientations and genders that you can pick from. Well, you can't have trophies because that's not equitable, right? We have to have a quality of outcome in our schools, otherwise our kids are gonna kill themselves. I'm unhappy with that. Now, while I don't have time to get on a school board, I do have time to do things like this from time to time. And explain to people that if you have the time and you have people that you can bring with you to help you get these positions, you can start changing the world and you can start doing it right here. Victoria didn't become, as left-leaning as it is, because that's what's right and what's virtuous. It became that way because people moved here because it was easy. You don't freeze in the winter. Well, you'll freeze a little bit, but you're not going to freeze to death like in Alberta, in Alberta, get this. Our government spends millions of dollars on ridiculous BS, right? Trudeau said we're gonna give $3 billion to Ukraine. Three million of it is gonna be for, and I quote, let, let me, I gotta get it right. Gender equitable demining. So we're not only going to remove mines from Ukraine, so people will get blown up. But we're gonna do it in keeping gender diversity in mind. So rather than sending Joe over here who's got 30 years experience dealing with explosives and mines over there to do that, we're gonna send, we're gonna send, oh, uh, what's it? I don't wanna say anybody's name in here. 
um, we're going to send Jane, who used to be Joe, that's been on the job for three months, because that's equity. And that person has a right to have that job because they exist. And we're going to affirm their existence by sending them into a job that they're not the best suited for. Well, you know what? When, when we hire police based on gender, when we hire first responders based on gender and instead of based on their experience and ability to do the job, we may be sentencing them to death. That is a very, very horrible reality. That's true. Meanwhile, in Alberta, it was minus 50 this winter without the wind chill. Five zero Celsius, minus 50. Do you know how many people died? A lot. A lot. There's a lot of people that die in Alberta from exposure every year because they can't get access to, first and foremost, mental health and addictions help. Very few is because they can't get a job because there's lots of jobs. It's generally that first one. We have veterans dying on the street in this country who served and sacrificed for us got injuries, not maybe physical injuries that we see, but injuries inside, in their psyche, that they can't deal with because they can't access the help, and they freeze to death on the street. Because we're too busy worrying about sending $3 billion to Ukraine to help an issue that's none of our business, that doesn't impact us, that we don't know the truth about, and that we can't help anyway. And you bring this all back to what I said in the beginning. Whose fault is this? Trudeau. It's not Trudeau's fault. We elected him. We elected him. Some of us, not this guy, for instance, but some people were wowed by his hair. <laughs> some people were wooed by his legalization of cannabis. And ignored all the other bad policies. Ignored all the other things. Ignored the history of the Liberal Party in this country and what they've done. Some of us, myself included, didn't even vote. Not that it mattered for me at the time because I live in Alberta and we can't influence federal politics one lick. But we've allowed these things to happen. And accepting that and understanding that is the first step to the solution. If we allowed it to happen, what is the solution? Who is the solution? Don't say it all at once. We are. We are. So what do we do? We unify around the things that are important. We unify around the idea that our society can exist peacefully, acknowledging and respecting each other's differences while maintaining a society that is moving in the right direction, which is human flourishing. Strong families. We're worried about children and their mental health issues at school, or they're going through time where they don't know who they are, they might be gay, they might want to change their gender when they're 18. Who's the best people to deal with that? The family. A strong family will always deal with those things more effectively than any government, than any state, than any advocate, because we love our children. And you know what? We love other people's children too, right? We just love kids because kids are cool, except for they stink. 
And so we also acknowledge that, yeah, there are some parents who are not good parents or incapable. And we provide the safety net that that child needs if their parents are unable to care for them. But the priority is always a loving home and a strong family. But that requires, just like politics, involvement. And there's so many things, even in my life, that, I, that I've watched uh, influence my own involvement in my family. Uh, a lot of it is just ridiculous distraction, entertainment, things like that, pursuit of uh, wealth or pursuit of a new vehicle or house or whatever, getting over your head with a mortgage because you've got to have a bigger house than your, your, your neighbor, whatever it is that takes up your time that you can't devote to the things that are important. A lot of us, myself included, probably more than anyone in this room, have to recognize that, yeah, I mismanaged my time, I didn't get involved where I needed to, and I wasn't part of a solution. As a matter of fact, I was part of a problem. And the problem culminated in the government being involved in my life to the point where they took away my rights and arrested me for protesting. So am I mad at the government for that? No, not really. I'm mad at myself for allowing it to get that way, but it's also very motivating. By the way, has anybody in here ever been arrested? I knew you had been arrested. Just kidding. Has anybody ever spent uh, time in the drunk tank? Don't be ashamed of it, whatever. Come on, we've all done it. I didn't do it. I'm better than you, but just kidding. No, I actually, when they arrested me, they actually put me in the drunk tank, and they left me there for four days. I couldn't even believe it. And the drunk tank sucks. There's nothing to do. There's, it's just a, a, a beige room with a sealed door, and your sink is also your toilet, which is really weird. And yeah, they just, they just left me there. It's a very unpleasant place to be. So when, when you think about what we have to do when uh, things get so bad that we have to put our, our, our lives, our, 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 our futures kind of on the line or our wealth or whatever to stand up against these things, the prospect of sleeping in that cell isn't nice. The prospect of being fined into oblivion Having the government take your property, it is nice, but it is necessary. It is absolutely necessary. And because of that, thankfully, there are groups that work towards supporting people that do that. You know what my legal fees were? $350,000. $350,000. Now granted, I was fighting a potential this would never happen, but a potential of about $11 million in fines. Because the government just kept on raising their fines to ridiculous levels that no court would ever do to try and scare people. So realistically, I was facing probably twenty dollars or $30,000 in fines. A lot of people in Alberta, they got a thousand or thirteen hundred or $4,000 fine. It cost me $350,000 to defend. Sue the bastards, no. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, where's the money? You know what my lawyer said? I said, well, now that, uh, oh man, I forgot to talk about Ingram at all, but we'll talk about that with Jeremy. I said to my lawyer, well, now that the government of Alberta recognizes that the restrictions were illegal because of this ruling, does that mean I get my uh, $15,000 back that I paid in fines? I got fined $30,000, which got reduced a little bit. Does that mean that now the government is going to pay me for the 260 hours of community service that I did for the crime of protesting that wasn't actually a crime at all because of this ruling? He said, yeah, sure, yeah, just uh, send me about $10,000 and we'll get started, but there'll be more. 
Give them 30%. Yeah, some do, some don't. What I'm getting at, though, is that we can't stand up against that stuff unless we do it together. Unless we're unified. If there's somebody in your community who's going to stand up against the government, you better get your checkbook out. The Democracy Fund did that for me. They covered all my legal expenses. I didn't have to pay a penny. Now, it did cost me money because I had to go back and forth to court. It cost me business. It cost me public standing. The media painted me as some anti-vax, anti-mask wingnut, which is not true at all. I wore a mask, and I've got probably more vaccines than most people in Canada because I worked in South America. But you know what? I sat in that chair at Shoppers Drug Mart, and I let that nurse stick 14 needles in my arms, and I didn't think anything of it. I was never concerned, not even a little bit. You know why? Because nobody was telling me that I had to do it. So, that's another part of this. If we want to be able to stand up against this stuff, we have to be ready to support each other. There's a lot of people in my circle of what used to be my friends, who now say, I won't support your fight against what the government did to us because you don't believe in chemtrails. And I won't support your um, pursuit of changing laws to benefit us and benefit our society because um, somebody said that you got paid $2 million for advocating for the UCP government. Some of those people that supported me completely abandoned me because my views on certain things are different than theirs. Now, what does that do to their future? If you're undermining any one person's ability to make a difference in society or to get a law changed or to win a court case, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because if I win, everybody wins. If one of you win, we all win. We're gonna talk about that as well. We're gonna talk about precedent set in court. My stuff never even made it through because the, judge, the Crown Prosecutor said, well, you know what, because the, the orders were all illegal, uh, I'm not going to pursue the charges anymore. Well, duh. Thanks for telling us that now, $350,000 later and two years later, and dozens of news articles that painted me as, as this social pariah who doesn't believe in medicine or science. Thank you very much. Where's my remedy for that? It doesn't exist. But, thank goodness, the majority of people were behind me, and, you know, now I get stopped in Minneapolis walking through the airport by people who know who I am because of what I did. So that does help business a little bit. But my point is, there are there's so many, I should, I should write things down. I never write anything down because I always speak from the heart. I tell you exactly what I'm thinking, what my opinion is. I don't prepare it because I don't want to stage anything. What you hear is coming right from here. Well, some of it comes from here, but mostly from here. But there's so many aspects of this, so many different things that we have to be willing to do, so many ways we can help. And we have to do it all. We really do. If you're not the kind of person that can stand up and say, I'm going to lose my house to stand up against the government, are you the type of person that can give five bucks to someone's legal defense that's going to do that? Everybody can do something. If you can't give five bucks for that, can you put up posters or pamphlets or something like that? Can you do a social media post? There's so many things that everybody can be doing. We don't all have to do some really boneheaded, big stage thing where we're telling the government to piss off publicly and violating their laws. We don't all have to do that. 
but we can help those things in all in our own way. So, uh, I think I'm well over time, like usual. So I, I think, in closing, yeah, sit back down. <laughs> I just, I really wanna express my gratitude for every one of you who have continued to participate in this movement. This isn't just a movement where we're stomping our feet just to get what we want. This movement is because each and every one of us have experienced something that woke something up inside us and made us want to act for the betterment of society. And that's very, very powerful. Those of you that are still left, this room was full before a lot of people that were here were here because they couldn't go to the bar. And that was what was important to them. But what's important to us is different and bigger than that. What's important to us is the betterment of society and making sure we can flourish as human beings. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for your support. And thank you for the invitation. And thank you for doing this on a day where it was going to rain the entire week because it hasn't rained in Alberta all winter and I really missed it. So thank you.